Hi there, it's Sinead O'Carroll, editor of The Journal here. You may recognise my voice from past episodes and I'm just popping back in today with a message and request for you, our listeners. At The Journal, our aim is to keep you well informed by providing you with relevant, reliable and meaningful journalism. We believe we are all better off if we make all of this journalism, our articles, these podcasts and everything else we do, available to everyone, regardless of their ability to pay. This podcast, as you know, plays a big part in that by talking with experts who break down news topics so well that you end up knowing how to explain them to your own pals. We're asking listeners like you to support us so we can continue to do this, providing this helpful context to everyone. Over 5,000 people have already stepped up. And if that's you, thank you so, so, so much. If it's not, why not join them? For the price of a coffee a week, you can support us to make more episodes just like this one at The Explainer. Please go to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute and choose between a monthly or one-off donation. Thank you so much and talk again soon. Welcome to thejournal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, what challenges will Britain's new king face during his reign? Following the death of Queen Elizabeth, Britain's longest reigning monarch, her son Charles has ascended to the throne. Charles, formerly the Prince of Wales, was formally proclaimed king last week, pledging lifelong service to the nation. Although he struck a note of constancy, his first speech as king acknowledged that Britain had changed significantly over his mother's reign, and signalled he would strive for a 21st century monarchy. With allegations of racism in the royal family and the fallout from his brother's sex abuse case, the last number of years have been a turbulent time for the British monarchy. And the new king has had some controversies of his own over the years, most recently a criminal investigation into his foundation after allegations about donations from a Saudi national. So how will Charles fare as the new monarch? And what challenges will he have to overcome? Joining me to talk through it is London-based journalist and media consultant Enda Brady, who's covered royal stories extensively over the years. Enda, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Michelle. Great to speak to you. So can you tell us about Britain's new king? What was Charles like as a prince? Look, I think he's had a, a long and unusual relationship, I think, with the British public because he's someone that everyone feels they know. He's a very introverted man. I mean, he, he's not in any way a gregarious, outgoing character. I've always have formed the impression that given the choice, he would much rather be surrounded by nature, surrounded by animals and his immediate close family or, or just Camilla. You know, I've, I've watched him over the years and you do get the impression that he does not like massively being exposed to the public or having to do meet and greets and walk around and meet people. So he's quite a private man. And yet the public here feel they know everything about him because of the nature of who he is. This was his destiny. We always knew this would happen at some stage. And of course, the fact that his first marriage was so high profile and so extremely public, everyone feels they know him. And in reality, they don't. I'm wondering how he's going to compare in terms of his approach uh, to his mother. He does seem to have a, a more direct personality, if you want to put it that way, than Queen Elizabeth. Will he manage to maintain that air of objective diplomacy that's expected from the monarch? Well, look, he needs to change a few things because it's all well and good being the heir. You know, he had lots of opinions and he wrote vigorous letters over many decades to cabinet ministers, to prime ministers, to leaders, to chief executives. You know, he was someone with an opinion and he wasn't afraid of sharing it. You can't do that when you're monarch. You know very little about the Queen. I mean, in all honesty, for someone who was 
reigning for 70 years and was so extremely high profile here, people didn't know what her favorite color was. People didn't know what her favorite racehorse was. She was someone who kept her opinions to herself. I remember one time the Queen visited Manchester and she made a comment about it always rains in Manchester. And trust me, having lived in the northwest of England when I went to university, it always rains in Manchester. The fact that the Queen said that caused headlines. And that was one of the, I'm just trying to think of anything previously where we had an opinion from the Queen. Very, very rare. Charles, however, has been full of opinions and he will now have to rein that in, whether he likes it or not. And he has been, as I've already mentioned, a controversial figure in the royal family. How much damage was there to his popularity after his admission of an affair during his marriage to Princess Diana and the allegations she made about his treatment of her during their marriage? That was extremely damaging. And I think he's done well to overcome that and even come back from it and still have a place in public life here to the point that people like him, that, you know, there is a a loyalty to the crown. I think he's done very well. I mean, he has hired in some good people over the years. Camilla's PR image, for example, was completely overhauled. And there was a stage, if you go back to the death of Diana, August 97 and the early weeks of September 97 and onwards, you know, it was very clear that the British public felt Diana was extremely hard done by. She had been wronged. Charles and Camilla would never be queen and never be accepted as queen. That's what people were saying. That's what newspaper columnists were writing. And they recruited very clever, agile, adept PR professionals. I remember one guy who was hired in who had worked in communications for Manchester United Football Club. So that was the level of people they brought in. And slowly but surely, his image and that of Camilla's were rehabilitated, for want of a better word, and it has worked. I think it's been quite a successful PR campaign. But there has also been a recent controversy relating to the Prince's Foundation, allegations about honours being offered to a Saudi national in return for donations. What's alleged to have happened there? So these were a drip feed of stories. The Sunday Times newspaper had all the exclusives on this. So effectively, he has a foundation, the Prince of Wales Foundation. And this was, there's you know, lots of charities obviously need lots of money. And it's the golden goose, really, in the UK is to get a senior member of the royal family to work with your charity. So you'll have seen when Philip died, how many charities sent their condolences, the same with the Queen. And Charles is no different. He, however, wanted to do things a bit differently. So he had this kind of umbrella organisation called the Prince of Wales Charitable Foundation. The allegation was that Charles's right-hand man had been meeting a Saudi businessman who's a billionaire. And the allegation was that it was made clear this guy had endless money. He wanted honours. He wanted help with getting a UK passport. And allegedly, Charles and his people put some effort into facilitating all of that in return for millions of pounds in donations. And then that's all still being investigated. And, And then there was a story recently two stories actually one where charles had accepted a million pounds in a suitcase in cash as a donation from a saudi businessman and then another where he had accepted a million pounds in cash donation from i kid you not a brother of osama bin laden so those were extremely damaging headlines and is this something that could overshadow his ascension or has he managed to sufficiently distance himself from what's alleged to have happened It won't overshadow anything. I think the plan is everything goes ahead. Obviously, there will be a royal 
funeral on Monday and there will be the coronation in a few months' time, three or four months' time down the line. I think those headlines have largely gone away. But for me, they raise serious question marks about the man's judgment. I mean, nothing stops him becoming king. He is king. But you would have to question, I mean, would you proudly declare or would you want anyone close to you to know that you had accepted a million quid off Bin Laden's brother? I mean, the number one terrorist in the world in the last however many decades. And there he is, a family member giving you a million quid. But that money was accepted. And the headlines are there. It's, it's, it's all out there. Um, but Charles seems to have successfully ridden the wave over that. So that's something he's managed to overcome already. What are the main issues you think that King Charles is going to have to overcome if he wants the monarchy to survive his reign? Well, first and foremost, he's not as popular as his mother. I think his main asset is his mother's popularity. And he needs to tap into that and get the public on side very quickly. I thought the walkabout the other evening with Camilla was a great success and a very good idea. Look, he's a very aloof man. I've been to parties inside Buckingham Palace in the back garden and what have you. He's not an easy mixer. I mean, I've met people like Tony Blair and you see how Tony Blair works the room, comes straight in when you're speaking to him, eye contact, how are you, where are you from? He will make you feel as if you're worth talking to. Charles is very much, you you can almost get the body language and the vibes He just wants to get this done, get out of here and get back to Highgrove. Now, that was his royal residence in Gloucestershire. It's beautiful where he lives. I've I've not been inside Highgrove, but I've been around the the area. Um, It's a stunning area. And you always feel that Charles is at his happiest away from London, away from the public and in Highgrove with Camilla. And listeners will be familiar with the reported tension between Prince Harry and the rest of the royal family. That's been a subject of discussion over the last few days. What is Charles' relationship with Prince Harry like now? And will that change in any way because he's king now? So it's interesting that there was the olive branch. I mean, the king's speech after his mother died, that 6pm broadcast last week where he specifically mentioned his love for Harry and Meghan. That was a big olive branch. And I think... It's one of the major issues on his to-do list is to fix that relationship with his son and daughter-in-law, stop any more damaging allegations coming out, keep them away from the airwaves, or at least make it clear to Harry and Meghan that you can make money without killing your own family members publicly, PR-wise. So we're not sure about what the relationship is like, but look, Harry has come back. He was in the UK anyway for lots of charitable work, and then he went to Germany for a launch of the Invictus Games, which are in Dusseldorf next year. So Harry came back. He was on British soil when the call came that his grandmother had been taken ill. He's here. And you would hope that people privately are sitting around the table and working out a way where they can go forward. Megan can make her podcasts. Harry can do what he wants. They can make money, but without selling content that compromises the House of Windsor. And Meghan and Harry have been very vocal on this. They reported racism within the royal institution. Do you think Charles will have a different approach to tackling racism than the Queen? Is there a chance to make a a wider societal difference here with this? Well, look, that still hasn't been addressed because we don't know what was said and we don't know who said it. So there's been loads of speculation. Harry and Meghan made a very serious allegation. And I, I kind of felt sorry for Charles in a way at the time when that came out because 
in all honesty, he couldn't really defend himself. I mean, he couldn't come out and issue a statement. He couldn't give an interview about it. He couldn't say, you know, there was lots of people pointing fingers. Was it Charles? Was it Camilla? Was it Philip? Did the Queen say something? I mean, we still don't know who that allegation was made about. So it was a very vague allegation of racism. And it may have been a flippant remark that someone thought was just a throwaway remark, but it obviously hurt. And look, allegations of racism, yes, they've been made before. They may well be made again. But I think Charles needs to get through the next few weeks. He's been waiting his whole life to do this one job. He's 73. He's not getting any younger. He needs the public on side and he needs very clever communications advisors around him and they need to work out what he's doing next year in terms of a royal tour. I would imagine they'll go to Australia because it's an easy open goal. The relationship between the UK and Australia is very, very good. Crowds will turn out. He is now the king and he, he needs to step up and behave like one. One of the major scandals the royal family had to deal with recently relates to Prince Andrew. He paid a settlement to Virginia Dufresne, who'd accused him of sexual assault. Now, we haven't seen much of him in public life recently. Do we know what kind of role Charles played in limiting his brother's involvement in royal life? So it's an extremely uneasy, awkward relationship. My understanding is that Charles has been the driving force of keeping Andrew away from everything, to keep him away from royal life, public duty, You know, you'll notice every few weeks or months, there's always a story well placed in a newspaper and it claims to be from a friend of Andrew's suggesting a comeback or he can do this. It's gone. It's over. There's no royal future for him. So he's only allowed to wear a military uniform once and that will be inside Westminster Hall on one day. Charles has made it quite clear that there is no role in public life or royal life for Andrew now in the coming years or ever. He's made it quite clear it's game over for him and he must pay the price. And that that has come from on high. Yeah, it is clear that the Prince Andrew scandal has impacted the royal family's reputation on a global scale. And when it comes to royal leaders, the Queen had built up strong relationships with many of them. Will Charles face a challenge now in developing relationships of his own with those leaders? I think there are easy relationships to nurture and maintain the United States. For example, Joe Biden, that will be straightforward. Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the Commonwealth countries. Look, there are relationships that I think Charles will really kind of balk at, even offering an olive branch. China, for example, Russia is an absolute no-go. There will be never be, there will never, ever, ever be anything between the UK and Russia ever again. But I think where he really needs to lead and show example, quite a few Caribbean nations have announced that they want to go independent, to leave the Commonwealth to break away from history, and they will do so. I mean, the feeling is quite strong in places like Jamaica, Antigua and Aruba. You know, these are places that are going to break away in the imminent next two, three years. So what kind of a relationship Charles wants to have with them going ahead? I think there will be plans drawn up not long after the funeral for uh, a royal trip, and I would imagine they will go somewhere safe for them where they will get easy headlines and a big welcome and that will be Australia, absolutely. But in terms of world leaders, he just needs to lean on his mother's experience, and he will have done so. I mean, he is, he is many things, but he is not stupid. And I think he will have asked her advice on countless hundreds of occasions about what do I do if this happens, or do we want this, who, who they pick and choose to have to state banquets. And I think privately, he'll be dreading a return of Donald Trump in 2024. 
So what will his relationship with Ireland be like then? Does he have a stronger connection than his mother? Do you know what? Um, his mother, and I know this because I spoke to someone extremely close to the Queen at Royal Ascot uh, about a year after the visit to Ireland. And his mother had wanted to visit Ireland for a very, very long time. And I was told that she was completely enamoured by the place and the people, the welcome she got, and the feeling was that she would go again in a heartbeat. Now, I was told that to my face at Royal Ascot by a member, a senior member of the Royal Household staff. Uh, I think it was 2012, it was uh, Royal Ascot. The visit was, what, 2011. I think the Queen realised the importance of that visit. She was very well advised. If you remember the state dinner where she stood up and she spoke a few words of Irish, and she said that there were some things that had happened in Ireland that should never have happened at all. Those were words that people needed to hear. And I think his mother has paved the way for Charles to have a good relationship with the people of Ireland. And he even went so far as to visit County Sligo and go to Mullochmore, where his beloved great uncle was obviously killed in, in the 1980s by the IRA. Um, I think Charles is not his mother but he can build on the foundations that she has laid and ultimately whether Irish people want him visiting as king or if that is to be repeated, that will be very much an issue for, for the Irish government. And speaking of governments, I want to ask about his relationship with Scottish leaders. There is a push for another independence referendum. Should we expect to hear much from Charles on that? So Scotland is going to be a thorn in his side because Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP are not going away. She has a huge electoral mandate. They are by far and away the biggest political party in Scotland. I mean, the Conservatives don't even count in Scotland. There is no support for the Conservatives. They've hardly any polling or support or seats. Labour are a much smaller party in Scotland. The SNP run the show. Now, October next year, Nicola Sturgeon has indicated she wants to hold another referendum on Scottish independence. I think with her driving this campaign, as opposed to Alex Salmond, who drove the previous one, I think it'll be a very different situation. There is a huge outpouring of love and respect for the Queen in Scotland right now. And obviously, she's died in Scotland. She's holidayed in Balmoral all her life, from being a young girl up until the moment she died. She loved Balmoral. The issue of the crown with the people of Scotland has never been an issue. So what the SNP and Nicola Sturgeon are wanting, they, they don't want to ditch the crown. They don't want to ditch the monarchy. It's not in their constitution. It's not on their agenda. It will never be on the referendum. The SNP's beef, if you like, is with English politicians and English leaders making decisions in England that directly affect the working life of Scottish people. So I think Charles needs to, again, be seen more prominently up there. He needs to spend more time in Balmoral and he really needs to tap into that love and affection Scottish people had for his mother and make it clear that he wants Scotland to remain part of the United Kingdom because I, I really think the whole issue of Scottish independence after a respectful few weeks and months of mourning and reflection on Queen Elizabeth II's life that is going to be the live issue of 2023 in the United Kingdom. Are we expecting any kind of an overhaul of how the royal family functions? He is the oldest person to ever assume the British throne. So are we expecting he'll just keep things going as they are and leave any potential reforms to his son or whoever comes after? 
Well, look, it started already. You'll have noticed the story in the papers the other day that uh, redundancy notices were issued to 100 staff at Clarence House. Now, Clarence House is just down the mile from Buckingham Palace. It's where the Prince of Wales lives. So ultimately, William and his family will have access to it. He, William now, is the Prince of Wales. I think Charles will run a more slimmed down monarchy. And don't be surprised if he jettisons Buckingham Palace that that just becomes a place for state banquets and big visual aesthetic stuff. I think long term, in the next two to five years, he will want to make Windsor Castle more of a a London base. And Windsor is a town west of London. But I think he will put more of his energy into Windsor Castle. I get the impression he's not a fan of Buckingham Palace. And I've been inside Buckingham Palace on countless occasions. It's a big, creaking old house. It's not as well maintained or decorated as you would imagine in certain parts i've been all over it and i think charles has obviously taken the view that you know he doesn't want to be spending all his time slap bang in the heart of the capital he wants to move out and he can obviously make changes when it comes to the monarchy and how the royal family functions but how much can he as the monarch impact on wider british society we know he cares strongly about the environment and climate change for example will he be able to achieve anything in that regard I think with his charitable work, he absolutely will. You know, say one thing in his favour, he was way ahead of the game in terms of the environment. I mean, I remember being in school in the 80s in County Wexford reading newspapers and it was all about Charles and the environment and he was doing this and he was, and people were laughing at him. You know, people were openly ridiculing Charles for taking an interest in nature and the environment. And now, you know, we, we had a situation here uh, this summer in London Uh, where 40 Celsius temperatures were recorded on two days of the summer. I mean, England should not be recording temperatures of 40 Celsius. And Charles was calling out climate change way back as early as 1985. Overall, do you think King Charles is going to be good for the monarchy? And is the monarchy in danger at all, do you think? Or have we seen in recent days actually just how much support there is for it? I don't think the monarchy is in danger right now. I mean, if... If you had a situation, I just use it as a theoretical situation, if it was Andrew had come to the crown, I mean, the monarchy will be on its knees in dire straits and you would have public outcry um, everywhere. I think the monarchy is not in danger, but Charles needs to be clever. There's a couple of things I've noticed the last couple of days. Signing the document at Hillsborough Castle the other day, the video that went viral of him losing his cool over a fountain pen, the inkwell the other night when he was signing a document. He seems to have this little cantankerous streak, which, not that he's a world leader, but he's a figurehead. But having spent time around prime ministers, presidents, big CEOs and leaders, you know, behaviour. Everyone is looking at your behaviour, how you come across, how you speak, how you treat the little people. So losing your cool with a butler on a video is not a good look. He really needs to get that in, in check quickly. Yeah, and in the world of social media, there's probably more pressure on him as well. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what's next for Charles. And I know it's been a hectic few days, so we really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Talk soon. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Ender for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Thanks again for listening. Until next time.